Howdy, I'm Paul Isaacoder, and this is Author's Dozen, a podcast where I explore barriers to storytelling by writing one novel every month for 12 months. Please enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to the Author's Dozen podcast, the critique collab, critics collab, I don't know, what should I call it, Scott? Uh, you know, critics collab might be a little bit too too kind towards my credentials so um you could call it like a pal collab or a yeah yeah a lightly educated buddy collab I don't just know just works. collab and collab that would be great <laughs> yep cool calm collab uh we uh the the voice you are hearing on the other end of this uh this zoom call is uh scott lentz scott say hello to everybody and introduce yourself hello everybody uh yeah as paul said i am scott lentz I am a, a friend out here in the great city of Los Angeles, California, and a fellow displaced Ohioan, uh, which has always been a major point of bonding for myself towards Paul. I don't know if it's the same for you, but yes, a displaced Ohioan. And uh, Paul jumped on my podcast a few weeks ago. I uh, run it with a buddy named Christian Ubius. We run the Cinema Drip podcast, where Christian and I share some streaming recommendations and typically explore a theme once a month. We've done things like AI as a theme, Harrison Ford, looking at an actor. And this month we're going to start looking at Aaron Sorkin movies. So if that sounds interesting to you, apparently it's interesting to Paul, definitely tune in to the Cinema Drip podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah, I've had the pleasure of uh, of seeing him in person several times, and uh, does does not disappoint. Um, you know, <laughs> however, however uh, you feel about him as like a human being, um, he is entertaining for sure. Well, um, I'm honored. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now I have to live up to that. So hopefully, the yep. the, the uh, fans of the authors dozen podcast are not disappointed. So yeah, Scott, um, you read the novel Hollow, uh, which is was was my trial run uh, with the Authors Dozen podcast, and so I am so curious to hear um, sort of what genre you think it belongs in, um, you know, and sort of a rundown of how you understood the book uh, plot wise. Yeah, totally. So firstly, uh, I'm very glad to read Hollow. The only full author's dozen book that I've gone through thus far, I'm ashamed to admit, was Run Prometheus, which uh, my wife and I very much enjoyed listening to the audiobook version of that. So it was nice to sit down and just read this time. So yes, Red Through Hollow. To my understanding, fantasy is our, our main genre here, but not necessarily high fantasy. There are no elves or trolls or dwarves, but uh, maybe light steampunk, I guess. We're in an age of trains and, and firearms. So, yeah, I, I guess that's maybe how I would categorize it. Uh, you know, publishers come running to me asking for a, a very specific <laughs> genre to break down because it seems like I can't do it. But, yeah, a, a light fantasy. Um, and to quickly run down the plot, do you want me to give the, you know, like the log line or you want me to do my best at a plot breakdown? Either, both. This is our first time uh, doing this critique thing, so uh, whatever you think the people ought to know, just assume that, you know, whoever's uh, listening to this uh, might not have uh, read the novel yet um, and is just curious uh, to hear us. So, um, yeah, give it give yeah, it your course. best shot and we'll see. Alrighty. So maybe I'll save a full plot breakdown once we dive more deeply into critiquing and hearing your thoughts on you know where you were when you were writing and some of my thoughts reading so i guess just a general 
you know, the here's the log line. Here's why you should check this book out. Um, we start, we open on, I should say, Turner, who is a young man, former slave, who is now a sharecropper on the estate of the esteemed Dia family. And Turner is living with his mother. Father is not in the picture. He doesn't know his father. He's crushing on one of the master's daughters and just trying to do his best while also trying to better himself as his mother is teaching him to read. And he has aspirations for that aforementioned crush. Unfortunately, one wild night happens on the estate with another one of the workers for the Dia family. And suddenly the Dia family is dead and his whole village that he lives with, including his mother, is gone, nowhere to be found. And he and seemingly the only other survivor, uh, another servant girl named Faye, are left to figure out what happened and try to track down the lost people of this village. Uh, Turner's especially motivated for finding his mother and hopefully meeting his father, who he believes is still somewhere out there. That is the, I know not, not the yeah. one sentence log line, but the most general, like, here's how we kick things off. Right. In, uh, situations. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that is a, uh, it's, it's interesting to sort of figure out like what people think is important in like a, a log line or a plot summary. Um, and, uh, you, you seem to bring up, um, you know, uh, Turner and his sort of aspirations a little bit. Um, did that uh, stick out to you as like a major point in the novel? Um, and where did it did it sort of go where you were expecting it to go? Hmm. So I guess with this genre of, of book, you know, a, a fantasy novel, no matter how high or low your fantasy, focusing on a, a young man <laughs> with aspirations yep. Yep. is not necessarily uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay. Cause we, you know, we like our heroes young and learning. We like our heroes with big dreams and encountering big challenges and trying to surmount said challenges. So, you know, with Turner being the main character, at least the only person's point of view we see, I, I, I think, um, you know, it does seem that his aspirations are pretty important to the overall arc of the novel and, um, you know, certain things, that I mentioned for him are met and some are, yeah, some of his, his desires are certainly frustrated. Um, and so I would say that it worked for me. I think Turner is a likable character and, you know, I'll play my hand or reveal my hand a little bit here. Um, but the characters of hollow were definitely one of my favorite parts of the book. He provided a very helpful worksheet to organize some thoughts there. (laughs) He's like prose and dialogue character setting. And so characters were definitely a high point for me. Um, and Turner works for me as a lead character. Um, yeah, I, I liked the way that his, where his aspirations started and how we saw him grow and, and where he ended up. Um, definitely an interesting journey to follow. So worked for me. Cool. Yeah. So you said the characters, uh, really worked for you. Was there any part of the novel, you know, just to get it out of the way that sort of worked a little bit less for you? Um, (laughs) something that, you know, uh, stuck out to you as, you know, if the characters are a strength, what, uh, would be a weakness? I think something I was really trying to force myself to remember is that this is the first draft of a novel that was given an explicit one month time limit. Yeah. Cause 
as I thought through the things that I liked and the things that I was a little bit more mixed on, I kept reminding myself that you only had so much time. And my biggest complaint that I was taking in my notes as I was reading through was, man, I wish that there was more of this character. Man, I wish that this concept was more fleshed out. Man, I wish I had a better grasp of this part of the world that Turner and Faye are in right now. Right. And so, you know, I, I would say my biggest complaint thus far is sort of the lack of fleshed outness, but I guess that's why you're doing these collabs because obviously a 211 page book with a great concept and good characters can probably be expanded to a, you know, 300 page, 350 page novel. I've, I've never tried to write yeah. a book, so yeah. I'm sure that that is way more challenging than I, uh, that I'm making it seem. And I know that it would be a lot to, you know, almost double the length of your book, but um, definitely wish that there was just more of everything that is already there. Um, and I think if I could make a more specific critique, something that I was noticing throughout is um, it seems like the narrative or the storyline, I guess, starts out really strong. There's this compelling mystery. You know, there, I guess I should say there's a compelling scene at uh, the big house where yeah. the master Diaz live and Turner wakes up in this insane situation where everyone is either dead or missing. Yeah. And we, uh, we see his escape with Faye where he runs into, um, I, I guess a law keeper mm-hmm. <laughs> from this group called the redeemers. And there's this awesome scene in it. Um, the beginning and even like the middle of the book feel really flushed out and cohesive, but at the ending things start to kind of unravel for me. Yeah. Um, there is another location in the book called the hollow fortress that is set up from the very beginning as this important place. Mm-hmm. And, and I would, I, I, I thought that they got, once they got to the hollow fortress, um, I didn't have as good a sense of place as I was mm. reading. Um, I didn't fully understand the villain who we meet uh, a couple villains throughout, but some of the main big bads uh, mm. who are at the hollow fortress sort of didn't, I didn't fully understand their motivations. And that maybe that's because I read this through once and I sure. was just making sure that I was getting it done so I could talk about it, having finished it. Sure. Uh, and I mean, and, yeah, you know, so. that's how the common reader will read it. So, you know, that is perfect. Um, and yeah, yeah. So you you mentioned it feels uh, like a little rushed, like the characters at the uh, you know beginning and ending are good, and then the ending uh, sort of feels like you know a, a guy trying to finish a book in a month and sort of realizing that he bit off more than he can chew. Is that is that? <laughs> I wouldn't even say that. I don't think that you bit off more than you can chew because you've been cranking these bad boys out, and your whole process has been these are first drafts. Not rough drafts, but also yeah. not final drafts. Right. You know, it's a finished, cohesive novel. Mm-hmm. And I didn't sit there and read it and be like, <laughs> man, <laughs> Paul's the worst. Like, yeah, yeah, this yeah. sucks. That was not how I walked away from mm-hmm. this. I mean, I'm still continually impressed at how you can crank these things out. Um, but, you know, if, if I could give an encouragement to you and if you were to look at look back on this year and say, which, you know, three or four ideas do I want to return to and flesh out? If I could go to bat for Hollow, I would say, man, fascinating world great characters that I just want way more of. Uh, I yeah. want to see more time with them. I want to see these dynamics and relationships develop um, and want the the ending to feel a little bit more built up. And a note that I, again, a note that I wrote down um, for myself is you have a lot of payoffs throughout the book. And some of them as like, you know, plot points are like, shoot, I wasn't expecting that. And it's exciting when that happens. And, you know, you're um, you, something that you aren't expecting happens when you're surprised. Right. But 
for some of these things, there is not as much buildup. So the payoff isn't as exciting. Yeah. And especially for uh, one of the final villains, whose name is Justice, mm-hmm. um, I, I really didn't have a full grasp of who he was. I don't I don't know if you're aiming for a sympathetic bad guy or more of just a he's he's evil bad guy because there's a place yeah. for both. But yeah, um, yeah I, I would say for someone like Justice uh, or even Dia Marcus, um, who uh, he appears uh, a couple times during the book, mm-hmm. I would have wanted to meet, especially Dia Marcus, because he's mm-hmm. not this mysterious figure living at this mysterious fortress. I would have right. want to run into him a couple times and see his dynamic with Turner either change or grow or mm-hmm. or, or something. Um, yeah. So that these bu- the build-up to the end uh, the payoff feels more exciting, uh, and, and I guess more earned maybe yeah, is, is the word that I would say. And yeah. again, when you're trying to condense this really awesome story into 211 pages, then that's going to happen is you're not going to have as much space to expand on these things. And if you're focusing on just finishing the story and getting the, you know, getting the bones and a little meat on the bones, then that's where you're going to be. And so, I yeah. again, I'm, I'm very impressed with this first draft of Hollow, and I I really enjoyed it, and I just want to see like the, the the better, best final version of it. Right, right. Well, thank you very much. That is uh, a great analysis, and sort of something that uh, I've been thinking about ever since I you know finished the book. Um, so peek behind the curtain. Yeah, I just found myself you know building and building and building these characters and worlds and stuff like that. Um, uh, and I just became fascinated with this like. Um, so they they go to a city, um, sort of in the middle of the novel, uh, where his his dad is supposed to be, and just that felt like the sort of crossing the Rubicon, you know, sort of like um, yeah. it sort of felt like that's where the adventure began, and uh, I've I've had other people tell me that, and so it feels to me as though there needs to be a sort of journey after. Um, that uh city where um turner and the rest of them sort of one thing i've been thinking about is like how to create a part of the novel where turner after he uh acquires uh the wolf he's just transported uh directly to you know the hollow fortress and directly into sort of this climax or whatever um and yeah it just doesn't feel earned um and so I'm trying to figure out ways to like, you know, put barriers between him and that place, uh, barriers where he can, you know, get to know, uh, Dia Marcus, um, some of the bandits. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all, all kinds of good stuff. So yeah, I, I, I totally jive with that and I'm not sure exactly how to do it yet, but, um, right. you know, that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ever the, uh, the challenge faced by creative ideas, Yeah, but yeah. I, I literally am like leaning up in my seat. Cause I'm like, yeah, that's, that is, that's something specific that I was hoping for. Um, right. cause there's even this, um, this, I guess, uh, plot point that you raise, uh, with Dia Marcus working with this group called the catalysts mm-hmm. whose motivations I didn't fully understand either. And that might've again been on me. So, I just that yeah, they're not really fleshed out that much, right? Uh, I, but they I, seem yeah. interesting, and yeah. so maybe yeah. like that section of the book could be Turner hunting for his way to the Hollow Fortress, but also running into Dia Marcus because he he ran into him once at this point in the book, but it was mm-hmm. very brief, and Turner gets knocked out and wakes up elsewhere, right? And so that that you know this if you're going to add in a, a chunk of the book, it could be that this is him running into Dia Marcus, unpacking his alliance with the Catalysts, who should be his enemy. And maybe even 
finding some sort of revolution to that alliance, mm-hmm. um, breaking that that partnership up that ticks off Marcus. And so yeah. uh, then then that's what leads both of them uh, to the Hollow Fortress, which they both get there, spoiler mm-hmm. alert, but <laughs> there yeah. are different, different means, I suppose. Yeah, it's tough because like, yeah, I, so one thing I've been thinking about is sort of, you know, they, the, both the good guys and bad guys, and this is, you know, one thing I've heard a lot about story writing is like, if the good guys and bad guys want the same thing, like, that's cool. That's a race, you know? Um, and, uh, at the same time, I think it would be interesting to, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's building an alliance until it no longer suits you, you know? Um, between like good guys and bad guys, they both want to reach it. So why not help each other a little bit? Um, so long as they need each other, that is for the future. And I yeah. really appreciate that note. That's what I keep hearing. So, okay. So I do have a few other things I wanted to bring up and I just want to mention my own, uh, my own limitations, I guess, as a literary critic, uh, or that my, you know, my primary thing that I take in to receive stories and, and lessons and themes are movies. And so yeah. I'm a little bit more adept at talking about movies. I'm not so adept at talking about books. So yeah, I'm not a fine. great, super great resource in terms of dialogue and prose. Um, though I tried my best to think about that. But the thing that I am more interested in is characters and story. Cause that's the thing that I feel like I can talk about with my, you know, cross media interests. Yeah. And so one particularly interesting character piece I wanted to talk about with you was the romance that starts to kick in at some point in the novel. Um, and I guess for you, you know, not every writer wants to include a romance yeah. uh, subplot in their story. And so for you, uh, why did you choose to include this romance? And then I have, I have some thoughts that I wanted to run past you and you can, there's ideas. And so, I yeah, mean, this, you no, sort of totally. invited me to be a backseat driver. <laughs> so I'm just going to try to do that. But, That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'll say, uh, that the romance that starts to develop, um, I have always been, uh, a big fan of rivalries and, you know, uh, yeah, people who would not normally start off, you know, liking one another, liking one another, um, and uh, people sort of, one of the things I find really compelling about the, my favorite romances in literature is that two people are on a mission together. Um, and through that mission, they prove to each other, you know, their merits and, you know, they, they find one another lovely at the end. <laughs> um, that said, uh, I was a little bit nervous at the end, you know, making it a romance. The whole book, I was, I, I was going through the... Uh, the process of will they, won't they, you know, I honestly didn't know um, where that was going to end up. And I actually, you know, in the final chapter, I sort of like pull back on that. And I sort of say like, well, we were in a, you know, a difficult situation. And I'm not sure if we want to like move forward to this right now yeah. in like, you know, one specific way, you know, let's be friends and figure it out in, you know, what, it, what this looks like in peacetime. Yeah, Faye was difficult for me because I really like her as a character, um, but there is, there are limitations, you know, uh, that a male writer can come up against where (laughs) my, my experience of the female mind comes a lot from literature. And, you know, I try my best uh, to read female authors who do a good job at this. Um, But at the same time, like, it's an area of growth. I understand that. Um, and that made me a little bit nervous, you know? 
Um, It also feels like a lot of stories sort of pair up like, you know, you win the day and get the girl and they sort of like (laughs) those two. uh, They're intertwined. Exactly. And it sort of feels like getting a prize, you know, like that. Yeah. And that is that is um, not that it isn't like some sort of catharsis or whatever, but it does sort of make the female out to be like this, you know, oh, you save the day, here's, you know, your reward or whatever, which is weird. I don't know. I don't know how to avoid that really, but I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts uh, yeah. about, about the romance. I was going to say, uh, I think you do sidestep that. And mm. part of the romance develops out of Faye's journey as a character as well, mm. where, um, by the end of the book, she's experiencing some seriously heavy emotions yeah. and Turner helps her to work through those things. And naturally in this high pressure situation, you know, it's not like he sits her down and they have a, a, a nice three hour conversation where she unpacks right. her trauma, you know, like yeah, you don't yeah, have exactly. time for that in this, in this uh, action packed story. Yeah. But I did like that. That was part of what spurred the romance on, um, wasn't necessarily making Faye just the damsel in distress, though she is captured, not just this prize to be won, but she has a strong personality herself. And the two do build out their relationship, uh, you know, through their journey. And something that I was, I found myself wishing for was I wish that we just had more with the two of them. And again, if you're, if if you come back to hollow and you expand it, um, I I would so love just more, scenes of the two of them mm-hmm. whether it's you know verbally sparring which they do especially towards the beginning whether it's the you know you got to fit in some of those classic story beats of you know she like falls and he catches her and of course he <laughs> goes behind the small of her back and they look at each other long like it doesn't have to be that right yeah, and cheesy, yeah, but yeah. you know want to have those moments where uh you know they have those moments where they both are forced to recognize their developing feelings and they have to be like ew gross you're gross yeah. <laughs> um but I, I did enjoy the romantic aspect of it because it didn't feel tacked on. It felt like a natural extension of these two as characters, especially because Turner, his pain starts out at the beginning because he has a serious crush on one of the daughters of mm-hmm. Dia Marcus, Dia Eve, who is one of Dia Marcus's daughters. And it's a big point of motivation for him early on because she dies and vengeance for her is something that starts to motivate her. And we see him change because he begins to fall for mm-hmm. Faye, this person who he initially did not like. You know, we had this uh, – his expectations are subverted in a way, I suppose, where he thought he was going to work his way up to fall for the master's daughter and, you know, whisk her away and they could have their uh, cross-class romance and live happily yeah. ever after. But instead, he falls for somebody from his class. Um, I, I did like that right. that was where Turner begins and where he ends, mm. because again, it's not like you have devised a new, a new form of romantic literature. Those kinds of stories have happened before, but I liked the way that you <laughs> handled it in right. the book. Um, and one thing that I actually, another thing that I would want to hear from you on that is related, but as sort of a new topic. So you can flesh out the, the romantic piece with Eve as well, if you want. But, um, another critique that I had for the book and again, this maybe is just you start to write and you need to keep moving along. But um, a critique that I had was the beginning feel like we get to the action mm-hmm. very quickly. Um, by the end of the first chapter, Turner is chasing after a character named Smoker, right. who is this fellow sharecropper or servant. 
And they get into the situation Mm -hmm. that is the inciting incident for the rest of the book. And I found myself wishing that we had a few chapters, uh, even just another chapter, to Mm -hmm. orient ourselves to this world, to Turner's relationships with people like his mother, Sophia, to even Dia Eve. Like, could they have an interaction? Because I found myself wondering, you know, Eve apparently has some kind of relationship to Turner where she, I think, gives him a book. Faye makes this comment to Turner later on where she would say, you know, she always noticed when he got doughy eyed looking at Eve, but Eve never returned the affection. And so even just a chance to meet Eve and feel more sorrow and shock um, when you mercilessly murder her (laughs) at the end of chapter two, which honestly, I seriously loved that choice. Um, I loved that Smoker had this evil plan and Smoker pays the price for it as well. But it's such a shocking way to start the book that I really liked but I wish that I could have felt something more for these dead people, even if they were the upper crust, upper class people oppressing Turner and his family and friends. And just a, a more time to orient ourselves to Turner and his world. Even though, again, I like Turner a lot. I think he's a good character. I like the journey that he goes on. But we do get into the action so quickly. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I would love your thoughts on on that if you, you know, thought back an, to it. or yeah. No, that is an incredible note. Um, one thing that... I've always struggled with as a storyteller is, you know, my instinct is to just get right into it, you know, get right into the conflict, uh, start that up. The the world before, you know, the day that everything changes mm-hmm. sort of uh, gives you more insight into who Turner is and, you know, who Faye is and all these people. We do miss out um, all the like place setting of like, this is what their life is and this is what their dreams are. And, you know, it'll all change, but here's, here's the setting. So all in all, yes, I think that's a great note. Um, I just struggle with like keeping people's interest, you know, in those first uh, moments, you know, like what is, you know, you tuned in for like, you know, uh, people fighting on top of animals and, you know, being, uh, and shooting at each other. And like, why, would you stick around during like here is farming techniques of fantasy fruits (laughs) yeah exactly and so like you know how how do you uh get people with that and so that's a puzzle i'll have to solve but i think that it has to be a part of whatever this final book looks like yeah and that that line to walk again as someone who is not a published author in any way shape or form you know that is a, a challenge that i have not tried to solve of how do i snag people's interest while also setting up my world and getting to the action at a reasonable amount of time. And yeah, yeah I, I don't know if you want like my ideas. <laughs> Cause I, let's I hear, let's hear a couple. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and again, like some of these, maybe they counteract um, other parts of the book, but uh, for example, at the beginning of the book, have a scene with, um, Turner and Dia Eve, or even like add in Faye to that conversation because she works at the big house. Right. Um, and so there could be even added drama as she tries to comment on Turner's affections towards Dia yeah. Eve. Yeah. Um, have a scene of Turner meeting Smoker, and so we could know that he's a bad dude. And so when Smoker comes on Turner while he's saying his awkward, very funny prayer, uh, <laughs> that we like understand, oh, Smoker is unscrupulous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we yeah. already know this. He will probably do something bad. Um, and this is another thing that I thought about. Um, I guess I'll I'll say, I'll say two more things. Uh, one, you could introduce Dia Marcus, although I do like the reveal of like, holy crap, here he is in the middle of the book. Um, he's working with the catalysts. That is not something we expected him to do. 
Um, yeah. I do like that reveal. So you would have to toy with the structure in a different way. Um, so yeah. that, you know, take that as you will. Um, another thing that I thought about would be having a either a section or a chapter from Sophia, uh, her point of view, Sophia being Turner's mother, if you're listening. Mm-hmm. And that might that might be a bigger can of worms to unpack because throughout the book, we're looking at it through Turner's perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. So because we don't ever share that perspective, it might not make sense to have a chapter from a different character's point of view early on in the book yeah. and then never return to it. But I, I was thinking, I guess, a scene, because Turner wonders why she has you know, disappeared without warning mm-hmm. him or anything. Yeah. And even having a scene that shows her being angry with Turner for being gone because... Mm. You know, she he runs away and gets trapped in the big house on Smoker's plan. He was supposed to come back to her. He already lied about going to the restroom just so he could get out and so on and so yeah. forth. And so there could be a scene where she is, like, distressed and hides her journal to make sure that he will find it because she knows Turner wants to read it. Yeah. Uh, to Just to get a peek behind the, cor- the curtain at her emotions uh, mm-hmm. as well. So I don't know what you make make of those thoughts but as i was you know as, as i was thinking there i didn't want to just say man paul should explain the beginning without trying to think of how it could actually work <laughs> right yeah uh, and yeah. so those are some of my thoughts that's a difficulty of the novel is like you know we we do spend most of it in turner's head a little bit it's uh what's called a, a close third person um and so it's kind of like you know in video games when you're looking over uh the shoulder of the person you're controlling you know you're not in their head but you are mostly experiencing the world through their you know pov or whatever the thing that that does is it allows you to see the world through this guy's eyes the thing that it sacrifices sometimes is that we don't see anything that he does not see um, we don't experience anything he doesn't experience and, and that can be a challenge. So, uh, how to do that and how to, you know, set up the novel in a way, uh, that is, um, still in the, the point of view, um, might be challenging, but you know, there's yeah. also the challenge of if I want to add another point of view or, you know, it, there, there should probably not be a, you know, one chapter that does that in the middle of the book and then the rest right. from yeah. Turner. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's a problem and that's what, uh, that's what storytelling is about. Uh, you know, is this puzzle puzzle solving. Um, that's actually a really pleasurable aspect of it. So thank you yeah, for, for giving sure. me another puzzle to solve, but it makes the book better. So tell me, uh, what else, uh, what other topics, uh, came to mind? Yeah. So, um, another, I guess an interesting piece to any fantasy novel is naturally its setting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, authors have gone every which way, um, devising new fascinating worlds for us to explore. And there definitely were aspects of this world that I liked, even if it's not the most fleshed out. Uh, mm-hmm. most satisfyingly world built, which, you know, world building in and of itself is a challenging thing and also a controversial topic. Yeah. Some people think that world building is like the only thing that matters for stories, which it's not, <laughs> but yeah. um, I would love to hear some of your thoughts behind the world building, like starting them off at an isthmus. Yeah. <laughs> that's never happened in a story. <laughs> what is that? So <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's exciting. And this whole Southern hemisphere is shrouded in mystery with these exotic beasts to be tamed and like ridden into battle is all very exciting and i would love to hear uh you know again on this collaborative critical podcast we'd love to hear some of your thoughts on the world um and maybe yeah then i could mention some of mine as well but just get some of the background 
Yeah, and it's it's tough because uh, I spent a good chunk of you know my very limited word count, um, you know, trying to describe and you know justify why this world is the way it is. You know, why are there these giant animals? And uh, you know, one thing I kept coming across, you know. I mean, all my life, you know, is, you know, you try to learn as much as you can about as many topics as you can, because it's interesting. Uh, megafauna uh, is is what you call uh, large beasts. And yes. um, and the reason we don't have a lot of the megafauna that we find in like the fossil record is because humans killed them all. We uh, we love their big, tasty, uh, their big, tasty chicken wings. Um, and, uh, we kept killing them and eating them and it was great. Um, fun fact, avocados, uh, almost went in extinct because, uh, those seeds in them, uh, they were spread by these giant sloths that would eat yes, the whole the avocado. Yeah. They would eat the whole avocado and then they would poop out the giant seed. Like imagine the kind of animal that could, could take that kind of punishment, um, and we wiped them out and we almost oh, lost avocados forever. So as a person who enjoyed some guacamole this very day, I am grateful. <laughs> yes. Yes, Man, for sure. Out for the, the megafauna yeah. and the they were, they were thinking of us, uh, millennials, uh, when, yes. when they, <laughs> when Thank they preserve those. Yes. Um, so, uh, my thought was, why don't we just make, uh, one half of the world completely off, uh, limits to humans? Um, so I introduced this sort of like, uh, gas that causes just pain in humans, but, uh, allows other animals and whatnot to live. One of the great things about world building is like, once you solve one problem, it raises a bunch of other problems, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so one thing, uh, that, yeah, I just kept introducing like, oh, uh, what sort of culture would, um, you know, be attracted to this sort of animal? And uh, why would this particular piece of land have uh, slavery while the rest didn't, you know? And so, again, just learning all you can about history, about, you know, why things went the way they went, um, uh, sort of informs uh, what this world looks like. Um but uh, that was that was an exciting thing for me. It also, you know, takes up a lot of space. Uh, some of the world building things that don't really pay off. Um, I sort of explain like the political structure of like there's this hegemon in the empire, and you know he doesn't technically rule as emperor, but he kind of does. Um, and like all that stuff is being explained, and like they never come up, you know, like the, the emperor is not really involved and, you know, the, the politics are only involved in so far as they, you know, affect the main characters because we're not in a sort of game of Thrones political drama. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We're seeing things from the, you know, the little guy's point of view. It's, it's that old, uh, advice, kill your da darlings, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, this is a cool concept. This is fun, but it's not part of the story. So don't put it in there. And what I usually end up doing is taking those concepts that I found were really interesting and, uh, you know, either making them matter or changing them completely in order that they impact the characters in a more, you know, concrete way. So, yeah. Um, did you have any thoughts of like, you know, uh, is there too much world building? Is there too little? Is there, uh, are there a lot of things you wanted explained? So, um, yeah. Like I said, I, I really enjoyed the concept and like the bones of the story. And I just want more of everything. 
Mm. And so if you can do it in a way that is not, that doesn't reveal, oh, Paul has stacks of pages on notes about right. this world, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, without, you know, gazing at your navel too hard. I, right. I would love more of this world and, you know, a, a more, a deeper dive into what makes it tick, what makes it work. And of course, as you're expanding on Turner's journey, if you add in barriers and, and different scenes and different characters mm. for him to find his way, uh, find his way that he's talking to. I'm terrible. rubbing my hands together for our podcast audience. I'm so excited about that new problems and conflicts oh, yeah. and whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, as you're thinking of ways to add more for Turner to do before he gets to the end goal, you know, I would, I would love a continued dive into elements of this world. And yeah. obviously there are things that are really intriguing and thought out. Like they come upon the town of Elaine junction, where there is a sheriff slash redeemer mm-hmm. who stands on this, uh, platform in the town square with like uh, a, basically an offering dish, mm, like yeah, asking for yeah. money from the townsfolk and and showing the uh, fruits of his labor with these yeah. prisoners standing behind him. You know, details like that are fascinating, and of course, that's how we meet Hassan, who is one of my favorite characters in the book. Um, that is that is one aspect of world building that really came to bite me in the butt in the audiobook because I had to put on this ridiculous accent yes. that is somewhere between French and Russian and yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, it's all good. When you're doing all the voices for your own characters, you know, you can't really can't really fault you that uh that yeah. hard. Um but you know there are things like that where I, I really dug that. I, I thought that was a cool detail. Um and then of course there are elements that I wish we learned more about, like the Federated States of Duskin get mentioned mm-hmm. maybe once and uh, I guess it would have been cool to run into some Duskin travelers or whatever mm. people with it a drastically different, uh, drastically different way of thinking than the people in the Republic. Republic. Yeah, yeah. Or learning more about Hassan and his culture because the the one scene that we do get is awesome. Like Turner mm. stumbles his way into this basically uh, hookah lounge. Uh, <laughs> it would be our like real world analog. Um, but it's this great scene where like Turner is introduced to so much new stuff at once. He has this yeah. sort of embarrassing encounter with a woman he's very attracted to. Yeah, yeah. And it's adding so much, you know, so many details to the world and teaching us about Hassan also because we're seeing his culture. Um, and I would have loved more chances to engage with that as well. You know, maybe you don't need to stay longer at um, this this particular business, but mm-hmm. uh, just continuing to engage with Hassan's culture and his view of the old public because he has yeah. a, a different viewpoint and he's mm-hmm. able to sometimes, you know, hang a lampshade and talk about things in the book and sometimes yeah. just be funny. And I appreciate that. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess I, I've been ranting, so. <laughs> no, that's perfect. <laughs> and and it's, a, you know, it's, it's a good introduction to, um, you know, another concept that is... Uh, really cool for just revising your work. Knowing that uh, something worked really well uh, is awesome because you get to expand on that. Um, and knowing that something else didn't really stand out to people at all, um, that is, you know, sometimes, you know, criticism is not so much about, uh, you know, it's not so much about like, you know, putting down the work, you know, it's raising up parts of the work that were, um, you know, yeah. the most positive. Uh, sort of more of a uh, adding clay to the structure rather than like chipping it away, um, I yeah. suppose. But yeah, um, 
that is that is a really cool point. And again, I, I rub my hands together when I think <laughs> of like, you know, getting people from uh, Descany and uh, Hassan's culture and all these things um, more involved in the story because it gives different perspective. It, it, it gives like more uh, varied things because characters are individuals, but they're also individuals that come from a culture and what that culture does to them and, you know, makes them uh, interested in. Uh, is really fascinating and yeah so you can watch people be a part of their culture or defy their culture and that's uh, that's another uh, point of drama and entertainment and i love it yeah and i think you know of the the most recent fantasy novels that i read before hollow uh were the king killer chronicle books yes. which i read at the beginning of quarantine and yeah. i am a terrible terrible reader but i plowed through those things um and part of it you know, part of uh, Pat Rothfuss's strength as a writer, which, I mean, you probably have your own thoughts on this, but uh, he has a beautiful poetic prose that some people hate, but I really enjoy. And uh, similar to George R.R. Martin, it feels like he has, he knows everything about this world. And there are mm -hmm. times when he can get lost in the sauce exploring yeah. his world. And you're like, you know what, Pat? I didn't need another scene. Uh, what is that? <laughs> what? So yeah. what? It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> didn't need another scene of him suffering trauma and abuse on the streets of this city. Didn't need another scene of, uh, quote, exploring his sexuality in depth. But, uh, you know, these things help add color um, to those books. And so yeah. maybe that is just my personal perspective where I mm -hmm. like indulgent things. Uh, yeah. I tend to be very pro, like, glossy and give me it all, all at once kind of mm. stories. And so yeah. I liked the pieces of the world that we got from Hollow, and I just want more. I want more people yeah. riding beasts. I want to know what other kind of beasts people ride. I yeah. want to know more about the the elements of magic that appear at the end of the story. And maybe there's as sort of a science versus magic debate, but I, I would love to understand that even more, especially as right. we, you know, the Sky Hearths take on central importance to the story near the end of the book. I would love to know more about just how they work. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. I love the, the competitive circuit uh, mm. sporting event that you yeah. introduced, like yeah. such a cool detail. That was, and, a, that was such a fun thing to write. Like I oh, was I not going to yeah. make it. Yeah. I was not going to make it such a big deal in the book, but then I was like, it's like football with wolves. Like Scott yeah. would love this. That's what I was thinking <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> Thank you for writing that scene for me. Yep. But yep. seriously, this, this totally unique sporting event um, that you devised where of course there's fandoms and there's backstory on why everybody happens to lose to the same team and all these right. things like, that was such a cool detail, and I, and I would love to see more of that. And maybe if it's not more of the event itself, mm -hmm. uh, you know, would uh, I would love to know just like even the name of that. Like I don't think you right. gave it a specific name, but yeah. uh, even like something like Turner running into drunk nobles who are big right. supporters of the team that uh, hit the team that Turner likes uh, yeah. beats. You know, something yeah. like that just to continually slow his progress. Yeah. Uh, and, and getting to meet new and exciting people who have different, you know, um, exactly. uh, perspectives. So, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, there's this great through line in the book, too, about, um, you know, something that you said inspired it, which I think was near the beginning of the podcast, was this world mm -hmm. where slaves resemble the masters. Kind yeah. of what would it be like if slaves and masters had the same general skin tone mm -hmm. or skin colors or if yeah. it was just yeah. a mix all, all across? And yeah. so 
continuing to explore that dynamic by having Turner try continue to try to blend in and right. uh, appear as a noble. And maybe it works on the drunk guys when it didn't work on the sheriff before. Mm, um, yeah. Or maybe he uses Hassan, who is more adept at fitting in at, at these kinds of crowds. Um, maybe he runs into the Burr family, who's <laughs> the nouveau riche of the, right. of the region, yes. yeah. um, sooner and is able to be helped um, by them more quickly. Um, yeah, I, 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 man, I liked so much about the book, even if I have a lot of points of critique. It just makes me more sure. excited about um, hoping that one day you, you're able to pump out that 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 thicker, longer version with all of these extra details peppered Beautiful. in, because. I'm sure you have added thoughts that you would love to add in if you didn't give yourself an arbitrary yeah. time limit yeah. as well. Well, and that's, you know, there there are parts of the book where, um, you know, I keep thinking of like, oh, I could stick this in the middle or the end or the beginning because, you know, uh, obviously there's, uh, there is life that happens before and life that happens after. I mean, the, the end of the book basically, you know, sort of upends the world political order and yeah. in, in a way. And so, you know, being able to explore like, you have a republic. Can you keep it? You know, that sort of thing. And um, the uh, yeah, but um, I don't want to change subjects just yet because I, you know, we're a couple of white guys. And uh, but this book tackles uh, sort of unjust political systems uh, that involve, you know, uh slavery and yeah. um uh you know the sharecropping that replaces it that's almost exactly as bad were there any uh sort of problematic elements that you feel were due to you know the author making mistake rather than being you know problematic for you know the sake of the book i guess so yeah i'll preface this by saying paul and i are straight white cis males who not only came from the same region of the country to the one we live in now but we met at the same church yeah. <laughs> like, yeah i think we have similar politics uh and so yeah there are many many ways where you and i are very similar in, in broad ways and so definitely for those of you listening you know my input on this comes um uh, comes with many grains of salt uh not an expert on writing about slavery well I did. I did like that you had a scene where um, Turner and Faye have just run away, and they're listening to um, this. The, the first time we meet a cat, the Catalysts, mm -hmm. um, and they're this um, nobleman and peasant pair, and mm -hmm. that's unheard of uh, in the world <laughs> for them to be hanging out. And um, actually, maybe this comes later in the book. I might be thinking of the of the wrong scene. It's all good. So, and, uh, yeah, maybe a different scene. But at some point in the book, you have these characters who discuss the fact that. Um, slavery evolved into sharecropping, but sharecropping is almost better because slavery, um, you know, you, the person was the resource, but now in sharecropping, people are providing resources. And so rather than having to, I'm trying to remember the language you use, but basically slaughter the cow to get the meat, you can now milk the cow. Right. And you can milk yeah. the cow every day. Yeah. Um, and commentary like that, I think, is insightful. And is in a way tied into our country, the USA, um, tied into our history of slavery and what shape that took immediately after slavery was outlawed. Um, and I guess, like I've mentioned, um, you didn't explore the, um, the dynamic between noblemen and peasants too deeply in this first mm -hmm. draft. And so yeah. 
I don't think for me there was anything that came up where I was like, yikes, Paul, um, <laughs> or something that gave me pause even, mm-hmm. um, partially because you just weren't able to get there as you're uh, sure. trying to complete a draft in a month. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and in, I mean, in general, Diamarcus, once we meet him, is pretty despicable, and we learn uh, something true to history about him and his relationship to another major character, mm-hmm. um, which... Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily, um, I don't think it's necessarily like gauche to put it in, if that's the right word, or, uh, yeah, yeah. it's finding those real world analogs, which like things that would happen in systems of slavery, no matter what world it is, whether it's the real world or our fictional ones, um, these kinds of awful truths that would still come about, um, I think it's fair to include in the book. And yeah, if you were going to expand, um, your novel, I know that you would, do your work and do your research and uh, and get notes. So I, you know, right, I have faith exactly. that if you were to expand it, that you would get more perspectives than just mine. But that's mm-hmm. is where I landed, um, yeah. especially because you know at the end of the day, the book zooms in on Turner and is more focused on his hero's journey in a way, as well as later this exploration of of justice and pain mm-hmm. and uh, what should motivate us and uh, how can we get through these challenging circumstances. And so. Yeah. Um, I don't think that the what you have in the book right now on slavery is particularly offensive. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for that input. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, one one part of uh, publishing that's big nowadays is you know uh, sensitivity readers. Um, you would never send a book to print, you know, the comments about any sort of uh, tension or whatever, or even that doesn't, but just maybe take some things for granted that aren't really true for other cultures. Um, and just uh, having people from, you know, those walks of life read it and be like, you know, maybe you didn't mean this, but, you know, this is how it comes off. Yeah. And so I, I would I would especially love, um, you know, hearing uh, from that, um, because one of the challenges is, you know, sure, you know, we're, we're straight white guys or whatever, um, but, you know every author is going to have to write outside of their experience. Right. Um, yeah. You know, a, uh, a, you know, a non-straight person, you know, would probably want to write some straight people into their books or, um, you know, a person uh, of color, you know, wanting to write, you know, a, a white character in such and such a way. Uh, yeah. I, I just think, I just think it's, it's important, you know, for art, for us to like sort of collaborate like we're doing now. Um, and get other perspectives and other views, no matter who you are. Um, so, yeah, I think that's huge. There are terrible things that happen to sharecroppers and slaves and, you know, in this novel. And I think it would be offensive to imply otherwise. Moving away from that note, do you have anything else that sort of like stuck out to you? I guess we've. this is similar to some of the things that we have already talked about. But one of the major through lines through most of the book is Turner and his search for his papa. Mm-hmm. Um so is it fair to go spoiler territory? Please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, spoiler, spoiler alert, if you've already made it this far into the episode and you have not yet read the book, but spoiler alert for sure. Uh, so Turner eventually makes it to Old Grad, the capital of the Republic, where he watches this uh, sporting event. And he's particularly watching this match because his father is essentially a professional athlete, which I, I, I dug. <laughs> that is a detail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And I also, you know, created sort of like headcanon of like, ah, yes, this esteemed knight who is now competing for his patron. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, which I guess that's, that's not headcanon, that's in the book. But, um, sure. you know, creating this backstory for Jack Switch, um, Turner's father. And there's so much that I love about the relationship between Turner, his um, mother and, and father who he meets, and also his father's family. Because yeah. one of the bombs that gets dropped earlier on is that, the reason Sophia kept uh, the identity of Turner's father from him is because when they had um, their night together that resulted in Turner, this Jack Switch was already happily married and had children of his own. Mm -hmm. And by having Turner meet his father and meet their family, um, I I, I thought there was so much that you could do. And I was definitely a little disappointed at how swiftly we moved on past that episode. And again, writing in a month, got to get it done. I really was disappointed, I guess, uh, that we yeah. didn't get more scenes with Turner and his essentially step siblings and mm-hmm. his uh, stepmother. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do, you know, if I can, if I can uh, sandwich this with also a praise, I want to specifically find. I didn't do this a lot as I was taking my notes, but mm-hmm. um, there was one specific line that um, you included in there that I want to praise. So uh, Turner's stepmother is Kieran, mm-hmm. and the major plot point that happens is Jack dies um, because somebody um, sets his home ablaze and Jack runs in to save one of his children and sacrifices himself so that the child can live. And the identity of the person who burns the home down, you know, it motivates the next um, story Mm -hmm. portion of the novel. But there is this note um, where um, you write about Turner and Kieran, Jack's wife. The two finally met one another's eyes. It was the first time they'd managed to do so for any amount of time. And I really love that little character detail. And I honestly just want more. Uh, again, yeah. that's what I've been saying this whole show. Like, I want more of those kinds of details because that packs so much into two brief sentences. It's brilliant. And I would love more, um, even getting to see Turner grow because he makes this, these couple of big choices where his father asks him, what do you want? And the next scene cuts to Turner with Hassan instead of the conversation mm-hmm. with his father. And yeah. Turner only asked for money and then he goes back because he realizes that the diary that his mother wrote in was left behind and that you know evil evil doers point towards dad yes and so i just would love a couple scenes of turner and and jack uh you know getting to enjoy this father-son moment that they never had um turner getting to even play with jack's children and feel Mm -hmm. like he's part of a family for the first time and not just doing life with his mother um him and kieran having awkward interactions where they sort of come to understand one another yeah. um which again for that particular line about their eyes meeting you know you don't need for that to land it lands mm-hmm. um but just adding continued depth to the situation yeah um and even so that the death of jack fe- like hurts us the reader more because yeah. that choice is so ballsy and it's one of several ballsy choices that you make in the in the novel um mm-hmm. uh, that i really respect and enjoy that helped me like the book even more but it's uh, again this sort of balance between buildup and payoff um, where we meet Jack and he and Turner finally get to meet. And it's like, wow, this is awesome. And then the next chapter Turner has already departed and the following chapter, he comes to dead dad. And so we just love to see their relationship build up and Turner's urgency in trying to go save his father uh, increase as well. So the payoff of dead dad is uh, hits even harder, I guess. So, you know, I'm sure that the timing of it all was also part of why that, particular sequence of events was um so abrupt i guess but yeah 
Yeah, what, what thoughts did you have about the Turner and Jack dynamic? And yeah, um, part of it was just that things had to keep moving. You know? Yeah, I, 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 I love the family drama. Um, I think you know it's especially because uh, what the the book results from you know people making uh, you know something that could be considered a mistake or uh, you know. Um, something beautiful, depending on, you know, where you come to this uh, morality wise, you know, the fact that everybody, you know, involved in Turner's life was victimizing Turner, you know, because they thought it would be like, you know, they thought it was like the best of a bad situation, you know, um, and uh, the the problem that arises with, you know, making it about a you know a family drama is like how do how do i how do i fit that in yeah because it does seem like kind of a short service uh to you know have him building up to like oh my dad's awesome uh i want to go meet my dad someday uh but also like he doesn't uh seem to call it all or whatever you know and this sort of like (laughs) you know it's it's this it's this crazy sort of um it's a ton of motivation that, you know, pays off in about two chapters. Um, and then we move on with the story and that's tough. And so, yeah, that'll, that'll continue to be, uh, some, some hurdles to jump over. And, and especially one of the biggest points I want people to take away from this conversation, no first draft is going to be, you know, something that, you know, you want to put out into the world as like the finished draft or whatever. Um, we we don't want to get into L. Ron Hubbard territory. We want to, you know, you know, we want to we want to um, find out what was you know good about our book and really magnify that and really get rid of you know the the things that detract from its uh, you know what it's trying to do. Your first uh, whack at a story, you know, that's like your first uh, time riding a bike. You want to keep doing it and doing it and doing it before you perform for somebody. Yeah. That's a bad example, but you, not a lot of bike performances happening, but you, you get my, you get my drift. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) I, yeah, I understand. Yeah. But yeah, that's a great point. And that like, the thing that I walked away from this is a increased respect for you as an author for doing this and then doing it like nine more times. Uh, and you still doing it. Um, and also coming away from a first draft that's like, man, I, you know, I would not encourage you to publish this. Neither you do encourage yourself to publish it, but there's so much there that I, I, like I've repeated throughout this show, you know, I just want more. I want to see the final version of this book because I think it could be like, great uh and i would be excited if you chose to continue working with hollow and also i could probably (laughs) rant all of my ideas for you about plot points and stuff for another you know hour and a half or however much uh however long this show has been Uh, (laughs) and so i i I will try to do some more of that offline if you're interested (laughs) i cannot wait i cannot wait this is you know uh one of the one of the great pleasures of being friends with you know uh people who can and care about uh, and you know create stories is that you can just constantly 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 be engaging with art on another level um, that isn't just like I liked it or eh, I didn't like it you know yeah. um, there is it is it is just endlessly fascinating and so I look forward to that conversation so Scott one thing I wanted to uh, address is uh, dialogue 
Um, that is uh, something, you know, as a movie buff uh, that you can definitely appreciate. You have now uh, consumed uh, two of my works, uh, Hollow and Run Prometheus. The dialogue, you know, so now that you have a little bit of context of like, this is the Paul style, <laughs> yes. um, you know, what what about what about the dialogue in Hollow uh, sort of seemed, uh, you know, positive and uh, maybe needs some work. Totally. Yeah. I, um, you gave us that rubric uh, that we can work with writing things from excellent to good to fair. And for me, I I felt that I am not a great judge of literary dialogue. Um, Totally fine. So for me, you know, I, I, as I was going through in my head, I I put good for the dialogue Mm -hmm. Um, because I think for some characters like Hassan Kaur, who I really enjoyed you get a perfect sense of who he is from his dialogue. His dialogue is very distinct from the other characters, partially because he throws in words from his language, his first language that don't translate well to the language that they're Mm -hmm. predominantly speaking throughout the novel. Um, Mm -hmm. In general, I feel like there's, there's nothing particularly thrilling or exciting about most of the dialogue. If I may be so bold. Mm. Um, Yeah. No. And while I felt like I got a good grasp of all the characters, both through what they did and what they said, so it's not like the dialogue, like I said, you know, nothing was um, was poor. Like I didn't come away being like, wow, Paul, I don't know who any of these people are. Um, you know, I, I would say um, if you need sort of a point of uh, constructive criticism around the dialogue, um, trying to just, I guess, punch it up in a way, um, either making it more emotionally charged or... Um, trying to continue to hone that unique voice for each character um, might be worth your time. Um, Like I've mentioned a lot through the show, I I want more of everything. And if that means more dialogue, more character interactions, then that's going to make me happy. So, but in general, I got a sense of all the characters through their dialogue and, you know, characters like justice as well. You can really get a sense of who he is through his dialogue, even though I want to know more about him in general. Uh, And so, in summation, uh, what what would you want people to leave this conversation, uh, you know, thinking about for either their own work or the work of, uh, you know, the other artists that they are approaching? Yeah, so I think it was it was a blast to read Hollow with a critical eye and even having the permission from you of knowing that. Obviously, I wasn't going to come here and be like, Paul, you're the worst. I know that your book is trapped. Like, I didn't want to come in like that. And I was looking for the things that worked for me while also just accepting and being honest about the things that didn't work for me and reminding myself, you know, this is a work in progress. And so I just had a blast doing that. And I'm sure anyone out there who is a writer who is writing novels, especially, is is doing that, is bringing their work to people. But um man, I, I would just encourage people to do that, <laughs> like, like you have done, yeah. just that process. But even as you think about your own work... Um, Man, I don't know if I could add anything uh, more insightful uh, than you've said, you know, throughout your show, but even on this episode. But um, yeah, like you said, continuing to punch up the things that work and knowing that you can never write a perfect book uh, <laughs> and and know that um, typically like, you know, uh, more world building is probably going to result in a more interesting novel unless you get lost in the weeds. And, uh, you know, not all of us are J.R.R. Tolkien who can spend pages writing about the nature of the environment before carrying on with the story. Yeah. But, uh, you know, some of us are. Uh, and, and still more world building is is interesting and 
you know, if people are in with your story, they want to know more about it. When you even think about the subcultures that form around things, like I mentioned yeah. headcanons, you know, people creating stories in their heads with pre-existing shows and characters or creating fan edits of relationships that didn't happen. You know, people, yeah. when they get into a world, will do anything for it. And so yeah. reminding yourself that if you're working on a if you're working on a project that you believe in and that you set up a world in an interesting way, like people will want to see more of it. Mm. Um, and so don't be afraid to like spend more time adding in useful details. Obviously don't be too, <laughs> uh, too haughty to uh, avoid killing your darlings, but yeah. um, find that balance of just taking enjoyment in your work and in your world and creating something fun and beautiful while also being merciless and mm. casting aside unnecessary details <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. jettisoning unuseful characters, yeah. But uh, I guess that is what I would uh, what I would leave as my final encouragement. Thank you so much, Scott. Scott, remind again the people uh, where they can find you on the internet. And yes. uh, yeah. So I am co-host of a show called The Cinema Drip Podcast that is available on Excellent Apple, show. on Spotify. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead and listen to the episode uh, that my co-host and I, Christian, did with Paul. That was a blast. One of my favorites we've done thus far on Princess Mononoke, which is a mm. truly great movie. Uh, but yeah, Christian and I discuss movies and we're still growing and we would love some feedback there. So go ahead and give us a listen. Check us out and we love your thoughts on the show. Yeah. Um, you can also find me on Letterboxd. I know this is kind of random to just like pitch one of my social no, media outlets, but um, Letterboxd, if you're unfamiliar with it, is a social media site for movie nerds and cinephiles or just movie fans. And I truly love this site. I am a uh, paid subscriber to the pro tier nice. um, and it's just great for logging the movies you watch but also writing about them and reading what other people write about them sometimes incredibly thoughtful and insightful sometimes hilarious and short one-line joke reviews of movies yeah. uh, and i try to review everything that i watch so if that sounds remotely interesting to you go ahead and check out my profile on letterboxd i follow back so great <laughs> would, love, would love to to meet you there awesome awesome thank you so much scott um i'll let you go but uh man this has been a wonderful talk and you have set the you have set the bar high uh, for these <laughs> uh critique collabs whatever we're calling them well, I'm right. honored. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, take I, care, man. I appreciate it. You All too. Right. See ya.